This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The presence of calm, compassion, and power is an indication of personal mastery. They don't fear expressing what they need to say. They lift others up, and they stay centered despite the chaos around them. It's no secret that these people are unstoppable, that their lives work, and that they achieve their goals. They are the ones people look up to, the ones who seem to be able to reach beyond the sky and touch the stars and have deep and loving relationships. True masters are those who have mastered themselves, their negative thoughts, judgments, and endless loops of resentment and petty upsets have been banished, who no longer need to be right or to fight for status or to have their way. Those who don't live their lives by limited fears, judgments, or the thousands of life-numbing concerns most of us share. It's time to go to work on building your own path, being your own person, leading others, and transforming your family, community, and workplace. Valeria interviews Russell Heath. He is a graduate of Accomplishment Coaching, one of the nation's premier coaching schools, and he is a master certified coach. Russell coaches for personal mastery, that is, to develop in individuals the leadership, emotional intelligence, and resilience to drive their lives forward with deafness and humor, regardless of the circumstances. In his teens, Russell Heath hitchhiked to Alaska and lived in a cabin on the banks of the Tanana River. In his 20s, he lived in Italy and then traveled overland across the Sahara, through the jungles and over the savannas of Africa, and into Southern Asia in his 30s. He sailed alone around the world in a 25-foot wooden boat. In his 40s, he wrote novels. In his 50s, he bicycled the spine of the Rockies from Alaska to Mexico. In his 60s now, he is building a boat which he will row around Newfoundland in 2024. He's worked on the Alaska Pipeline as an environmental lobbyist in the Alaska legislature and ran a storied environmental organization fighting to protect Alaska's coastal rainforests. In 2010, he left Alaska and moved to New York City to dig deep into leadership development and coaching. Meet Russell at russellheath.net. Here's the interview with Russell Heath. In your own words, who is Russell Heath? Good question. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) You know, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Certainly part of my my life's journey has been trying to figure that out or trying to create it, right? Because certainly when I was younger, I wasn't very happy with who I was. And, And part of my journey has been creating somebody with whom I'm very happy with, very accepting of. So... I, I'm a person, I think, who 
I'm a person who likes adventure, likes new things, and likes connecting deeply, either with nature, with other people, or with something intellectual, you know, a, a real intellectual challenge. So I would, I would say those two things yes. define me here. It sounds wonderful. I can relate to a lot of those qualities or interests, right? Mm -hmm. Deep conversations. And this morning I, I woke up, I'm always reflecting, contemplating these um, deep, let's say, ideas or visions. And based on what this is, which we call life. And then, um, you know, I come across, I, I, have, I talk to so many people and I read a lot and I, mm -hmm. I'm very much interested in, in spiritual philosophies and And then this morning I woke up and then something in the mind, within the mind, just contemplated the idea that if you don't find yourself out there in people, the people you meet or things you do, it, all the external things, objects, mm -hmm. if you don't find yourself there or see yourself there, then you have not looked deep enough. You have not gone deep enough. And that's almost like the idea of if you don't see God everywhere, it's because you have not looked deep enough. You know, yeah, sometimes it, I get you there about not looking deep enough. Sometimes it may be that we haven't moved the blinders out from our eyes. And certainly one of the, 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 the greatest blinders that I've had in my past is my judgment, where I'm judging someone else. And pulling that judgment away and just accepting the other person for who they are without the judgment, you know, opens me up to whether it's God or the, you know, the, 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 the light, the light in another person. Right. Yes. Judgments. And that comes from the, uh, seems to me that is the, uh, the mind, the part of the mind that wants to understand, analyze explain everything. It's very much the rational survival part of us. It's almost like a fear-based too. So that's what my experience has been. Every time fear arises, then judgment, it's right attached to it. I, I agree with you. It's, it's the fear. And it's interesting you said cognitive, because I think the fear, the emotion comes first, and then we, then we, we start to justify or rationalize the yes. fear. Yes, right. You probably have heard as well about uh, Course in Miracles. That's, I have, absolutely. Have, yeah. mm -hmm. In the end, when you come to understand or realize what the message is, it's really that choice between love and fear, that we all have the choice, that there are only two choices really in, within this experience called life. And that resonates true to me. And that's one of my, my practices. And... I, I agree, and, and I see that love and fear not so much as a choice, but as a journey or mm -hmm. a continuum. Yeah. So people have different levels of fear, and there are times when they can put it to the side and really feel the love. And in my own coaching, and I usually don't talk about this so much with clients. Again, many of my clients are are fairly corporate or fairly businesslike, so they 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 get a little nervous when I start using these words. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> But their growth as leaders, as businessmen or businesswomen is away from fear and towards love and connection. 
for them to be good and successful in their careers, they need to move in that direction. Yes, that's a, it's a movement. I love the way you say that, uh, a journey, the evolution of consciousness, perhaps that would, would be another way of mm -hmm. seeing that. That's the way I see it. It's not even a time thing. Oh, we'll get there in time. I think it's just uh, it's that inner world kind of being open to see differently, to shift perspective and perception. And that takes work, doesn't it, effort? Well, it takes work and it takes courage yes. to be able to step through the fear. Because one thing I tell, well, one thing I've noticed in my own life and certainly working with, with people is that our fears are usually not authentic. They're not fears of something that will, will, will draw blood or, or end us up in the emergency room. Our fears are almost always related to feel, uh, a fear of our own feelings of feeling uncomfortable, feeling painful, uh, feeling pain, like the, the fear of being rejected. So we don't pick up the phone and call that cute woman or that cute guy and invite them out for a date because we're fear, we're fear of rejection. But what is the fear of rejection? It's really the fear of feeling that rejection causes. Yes. So, so much of our fear is related to not wanting to feel uncomfortable. That is so true. So, so true. That's another journey, isn't it, Russell? To be open, to feel everything without fear. Well, I don't think the fear goes away, quite frankly. I think what happens is we take a step forward into our fear. We get comfortable in that situation. But then we challenge ourselves. We want to take another step. We want to take another step from fear towards love. But that's always through fear. So as I see it, the only way to avoid fear in your life is not to live a life. It's just to sit on the couch and zone out all day. Yes. But if you want to challenge yourself, you want to, you want to do big things, if you, you want to love deeply, there's always going to be fear there. That's a very interesting perspective. I tend to kind of um, see that differently. I think love and fear, they can't coexist. Once we are open to love, then it's almost like, as you said, fear doesn't go away, but it's not really perceived. It, love takes so much space that there's no, it almost pushes away fear. It's not that it's not there, but it's just far enough in a way. We have created a, enough gap, which is not really a gap. But there's something that happens, I don't know from my own experience, that when I am in that space of love, then it's not that fear is not there. It's just that's not, I'm not aware of the fear. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm not aware of it. I, I agree with you there. I, I was thinking more of the journey. So if you're on the journey towards deeper love, it's usually you have to go through with fear to get there. So it's in the challenge of moving along your path or moving deeper into life that there will be fear. And when you're sitting there in love with yourself, with somebody else, yeah, I, I agree. The fear's not there. Yes, right. It dissipates, dissolves fear. Love dissolves fear. What is your understanding of the definition of love, Russell? 
<laughs> That's a really good question. You know, uh, a question that, that philosophers have been chewing on oh, yes. and religious leaders for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can I can take the, hmm. the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, maybe modern Greek, Greek as well, but ancient Greeks had three different types of love and they had three different words for it. And it's unfortunate in English, we have only one word for it. The more words you have for it, the more nuance and distinctions you can see. So the Greeks had eros, eroticism, which we've kind of confused with, with sex or lust, but eroticism was just desire. So when I say, I love pizza, that's an erotic type of love. You know, it's a love of desire. And then philia, which is companionship or brotherhood. So it's the, it's the love that you have for a, you know, for a companion or brother or whatever. And then agape, which is divine love, and that's defined as acceptance, total acceptance, exactly how the person is and exactly how they aren't. And so when you can sit just in full acceptance of another person, right, it evokes, I, I can't say that I get there all the time, but it just evokes this great feeling of togetherness, of connection. Um, you know, it's almost transporting in its power. But to have that sense of acceptance, you know, all that judgment, all that I want the world to be my way has to has to go, has to disappear. Right. That sounds like another practice journey. <laughs> A big one. Do you also believe that to get to this divine love, agape love, do we need to, um, let's say, practice that with ourselves first before we attempt to do that for others, to give it to others? You know, in in the vernacular, in the in you know, in our current culture, that's the assumption that we first have to love ourselves, or we first have to accept ourselves before we love someone else, or or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I think my experience is that you know, as you know, that I'm a flawed human being, that I'm never going to reach you know that destination. It's so that it's a mixture. Right. They're a mixture. There are times I mean, I, I love my wife dearly and there are times I'm really angry at myself. Right. <laughs> I'm really judgmental about myself. So I think it's a mixture. We kind of go in and out, in and out. And the real practice is, is how do we stay in? And when we're out, how do we get back in? You know, it's like meditation. Your mind, my mind always wanders. The trick in meditation is always coming back, always coming back to your breath, always coming back to your center, your center. And that's our real, that's where we, for me, that's what, that ability to come back is, is what I try to develop. Yes, I love that. Beautifully said. Yeah. Very clear to me and resonates true to the heart. Yes. Which is also my idea for balance. It's, uh, it's life itself is dynamic. It's not stagnated, so it's always moving. So it, it makes a lot of sense. The dance, the movement, going out of balance, out of love, falling out of love, and then back into love. Knowing and knowing how to get back, right? That's the key. It takes practice. I have heard it before, but then every time I hear it, it's a reminder that mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like a confirmation of the truth. So with that in mind, I have to ask you this question. <laughs> if life had one purpose, one purpose only, what would that be from your perspective? 
<laughs> well, from an evolutionary point point of view, is to pass your genes on to the next generation, right? It's just that's the evolutionary point. Yeah, of view. materialistic point of view, right? Well, that's what got us here, though, right? That gave us our capabilities to even ask the question was evolution. So I wouldn't dismiss it, but I would say, you know, in terms of, I would say it's a subjective question, and for me, right now, it's to give you know, to the people that are most important to me, the people that I've made important in my life. I love that too, because I usually ask the question, I get the answer that it's to help others, which mm -hmm. you just said that too. But you kind of narrowed down to people you love, the closest people to you, which makes a lot of sense. That's how we start helping the journey of helping others, helping ourselves and then our family and then our community and then it grows. It might grow or might not. So, yeah, uh, it's um, I love how down to earth you, you were with that answer. Yeah. Can I can I raise a flag of caution here? Yeah. Yeah. So that's mine. It may not be everybody's. And one of my one of my concerns and what I often see with clients that come to me is that they've incorporated a narrative about how they should be. I should be concerned about other people, for instance, in this case. And as soon as we're incorporating a narrative that may not fit for us, then we 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 develop a you know a discontinuity, a disconnection within ourselves. And so I'd really caution people is, hey, it might not be your thing. It might be something else. I mean, some people are committed to their art, for instance. Some people are committed to status and money. You know, it's not my gig, but that might be what works best for them. You see, that's a very good observation on judgment. It's so easy to judge, isn't it? Because it's, there's so much to love, so many things that uh, we're attracted to when it comes to what good is, and then we just kind of tend to lean toward that, whatever it's, it's good, and then we become judgmental towards what we think or have been perceived as bad. And then, um, yes, that's not what love is <laughs> from our perspective, too. Just to continue what you're saying there, I think I think it's important for us to understand that we're human, we're flawed, and it's okay. Mm. We don't need to be perfect. Right. Yes. A well, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. We, we cannot be perfect. Here yes. Quick try. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you see, that's beautiful. And I did interview somebody recently, uh, Maria, her name, she had, Uh, introduced me to a spiritual teacher, and his teaching was very simple. And then mm -hmm. it was all about trying. <laughs> you just try. You know, all you can do is try. <laughs> But there was no resentment, no holding on to anything. Just try. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even if it is love, whatever it is that you want in life, just try. So that was so simple, but it's so true. Uh -huh. Because uh -huh. as you said, we cannot be perfect. So all we can do is to try not to be perfect, but to feel good about ourselves. And sometimes that doesn't happen either, but that's another layer of acceptance that could mm -hmm. come in. <laughs> Accepting the unacceptable. I could just talk forever about these things. I do have another question for you, open question. At this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? I would go back to acceptance. Yeah. To accept people who think differently than you and not make them wrong, to accept yourself and not make yourself wrong. And if 
if there were a little greater acceptance, right, maybe we wouldn't get so heated. Yes, another billion times to that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, to that vision, acceptance, right? What inspired you to become a coach, Russell? (laughs) I don't think I was inspired (laughs) at all. I was was, uh, looking for a job and couldn't find one. I was unemployed. So here's the here's my deal. As I was living in Alaska, and I love Alaska. I, I hitchhiked up there when I was a teenager and lived there for many years. And I was running, you know, activist organizations. I was out there trying to make a difference in the world. And I I discovered that I was the limiting factor in what our organization could do. As the leader, I was the limiting factor. I could only take the organization as far as I could go. And that I was limited not in terms of my skill levels, but in terms of who, you know my being, who I was. So that was one thing. And then the second thing was I was tired of who I was. I would I you know I'd spent years trying to be a different kind of person. Um, I am terribly shy and and afraid of people, which it's kind of hard to be a leader of an activist organization if you're shy and introverted. But whatever. And um, I had been introduced to coaching secondarily on uh, you know a number of years ago and it had made a tremendous difference to me it completely changed my life i had uh, run away from home and i was estranged from my parents and in, in just a weekend of this coaching program i called up my folks and told them i loved them and i felt my love for them which could not have happened no amount of therapy and self-help books that ever made that happen so when I wanted to develop myself as a leader and I was tired of being who I was, I said, well, I got to go back into coaching. So I left Alaska and went to New York City. And while I was there in New York City, I, I could not find work. Uh, my Alaska resume was a little too weird, I think, for those New Yorkers. And so I had to say, you know, if, if no one's going to hire me, I had to work for myself. And at that point, I'd been two or three years in these coaching programs as the coachee, you know, where I was being coached and it made tremendous difference in my life. It was, it was truly remarkable, the power of coaching. So I said, okay, I've got a good experience as at one end of the coaching relationship, I will become a coach. And so then I went and found a, a, you know, got professionally trained to be a coach. Yes. So that was it. If, (laughs) if, Somebody had hired me in New York City, my life might have turned out very differently. Yes, that's another question we often ask. Yeah, could I have done better or could have been different? What is your take on purpose, on destiny, fate, and all that? Do you believe in free will or we are already <laughs> programmed in a way to be who we are? You know, this is it. Here you are. You've got this brief moment in time, this little spark of you that lasts 70, 80 years, and then it's gone. Right. It's gone. And at least on this on this earth. Right. And so the question is, is what are you going to make of that? Whether you have free will or not, I don't know, but you need to act as if you do have free will. Right. You need to, I mean, you don't need to, but it's your, it's your choice. It's, in fact, your gift to create and design a life that you want. And that to me is the, is, you know, it's the gift. And, and I would encourage everybody to grab it, to take it, to unwrap it. And to do so, it takes a lot of work. It 
it takes a lot of work being a human being. It takes a lot of work to figure out how to use that brain and that soul of yours and how to have that heart open. That is true. It's being open in the first place yeah, to all that uh, for me has been. So what is, um, let's say, when we have found that purpose per se, what does it feel like? Do, do you have some, let's say, way of measuring to know when you are where you're supposed to be in a way? You know, that's that's a great question. And I would say, you know, half of my clients, half the people that hire me come to me because they say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my passion is. And so I thought a lot about it and I don't have a lot of good answers. But this is what I tell those folks before, you know, is passion isn't something you find. Passion is something you create. So people come to me thinking that if they look under enough rocks and behind enough trees, they'll find their passion. But if they're not <laughs> feeling it, it's not something that's going to be found, certainly not external yes. to them. It has to be created. And one of the difficulties of creating passion is that it takes a risk. You have to step off the cliff. You know, you don't know if the direction or the path that you choose is the path that's going to lead you where you need to be. It might be the wrong path. So one, it's it's scary just taking that first step. Two is, you know, when you do take that first step, when you make that decision that you're going to do X and not Y, you need to make it the right decision. Right? You don't know you know, where those two two uh, roads are diverging in the yellow wood, you don't know which one's the best one for you. There's no way that you can know. So you choose one of them, and sometimes it could be even arbitrary. So then it's your job, your responsibility, again, your gift to make it the right one. And all that requires, you know, kind of an inner power, an inner essence that you need to tap. And that's, again, that's scary stuff. You don't know what's there. You don't know what's going to happen. Is that unknown, isn't it? You mentioned earlier, being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh, and being comfortable with not knowing. Yeah, with the unknown as well. Yeah. Right? Uncomfortable, which uh, the unknown is uncomfortable enough. <laughs> that might be the scariest thing. I really feel like for me it has been the sense of identity. It was to kind of be in the space of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I'm engaged with everything, but not attached to anything. Mm-hmm. Even to where I was born, the, the nationality, the, the personality, all of that, my family and all my interests, this podcast, everything, just doing things that I'm called to do in a way because it feels it feels peaceful. That's what it is. And then to me, that's already the goal. If it feels peaceful and I feel fulfilled now and whole, then that's it. I already reached the goal. Where else I could find that? There's not a pursuit for me. But um, that's the way I measure whatever I do. But the sense of, uh, of identity, that might be not even knowing who you are in the sense of a what we are. And if, if those who believe that we are just the body-mind complex, then it might be easier that way. That's the easy way out. Okay, we'll die, and then that's it. Everything disappears. It doesn't feel that way. There's something here that never went away when I was um, five years old, when I was very, I remember when I was seven years old, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, oh, you're back here in a female body. 
<laughs> and I, uh-huh. I had no training or no any knowledge about any of that, no language even to express anything metaphysical, spiritual. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that was it felt very real, like it was something he had been here before or was always here. It never went away, really. It just changed form. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was the beginning of my curiosity. And then all the suffering, I went through a lot of trauma. And that brought me where I am today per se, if I can explain all that. That's what it feels like. It's how it feels. And it, it feels whole and, and complete now, this moment, whatever this is, then that's it for me. And it's almost like there's nothing to search for. It's to seek, to go, nowhere to go. And that might be what some people, spiritual philosophies, they say that that's freedom. That's what really freedom is. And I did have that question here for you. <laughs> From your perspective, what is freedom, Russell? Yeah, another great <laughs> question. So what I, I, want, I really want to agree with you there. You know, now at my stage in life, I have this really deep sense of, I call it contentment, I'm just really content and ability to love, which I didn't have up until, you know, four or five years ago, really until I got deep into coaching. Uh, and that's how I measure it too, is that sense of contentment. and with that contentment includes all these additional things that I have never done that I'd like to do. So there's still that, I mean, I, I always work on developing my practice as a, as a coach, become a better coach, but it's always from that basis of contentment as opposed to something like, I'm not good enough. I've got to work harder because, because I'm not worthy, you know, that kind of things. But so freedom Freedom, you know, today is kind of defined as 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 license, ability to do what you want to do. And forgive me, here's a judgment there, but that's a type of freedom that usually leads to a lot of pain, because true freedom is an internal freedom where you don't have things inside you that stop you from where you want to go. And it's that internal freedom that as a as a human being, I've tried to develop. You know, we talked earlier about fear. So again, fear is a limitation of my freedom, my internal freedom. It stops me, or if I let it stop me, I put shackles on myself. And to be clear, I put the shackles on, no one else put the shackles on, right? Right. So it's that internal freedom to to step beyond your fear, or step beyond whatever stops you yeah. in your life or in your journey. Yeah, that's what you call power as well, right, Russ? That's how you define power. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the inner freedom. And for me, it has been to get to this understanding or realization, it, it was through spiritual practices and spiritual knowledge. But for you, what has it been? Because I'm very curious to know how people get to realize and understand certain, the deeper truth such as this one. To me, that's really like truth with capital T. It resonates true to me. Uh-huh. So how did you get to this understanding of inner freedom? So th- th- there wasn't one path, of course. Yes, right, right. <laughs> we take so many. And yeah. I got hit up, hit with a head, on the head with a sledgehammer yeah. lots of times. <laughs> and, oh, you know, got everybody. all bloodied and had to pick myself back up. So... So one is, how do you get there is, is you know, there's got to be a certain tenacity that there's, there's, I don't want to say there's a goal, but there's a deeper way to live one's life. So you need that tenacity to keep going for it because 
it's difficult. You know, you're stepping through the fear. Two is is self-awareness. For me, it's if, if you're not aware of what's going on inside you, how you might be stopping yourself, then there's nothing you can do about it. You're just you're like a leaf blowing in the wind. So you've got to have that self-awareness. And that self-awareness, it, it helps to have someone else because you have blind spots. You just you just unaware of them. And somebody else sitting outside of you, outside of your head can say, hey, Russell, I noticed you said this, but look over here. You're doing that. What's going on? Right. So the self-awareness is key. The tenacity, there's also courage, always courage to step through the fear. Anywhere you have fear, and I'm calling, and I'm not calling you know, like fear of falling off a cliff or somebody attacking you with a knife. I'm talking fear that you are generating, right? I don't want to pick up that phone and call that woman because I'm scared that she's going to say no, right? That is a fear that I generate in myself. So those fears are your signposts of where you need to do your work, right? That's where you need to do your work. And it's on the other side of the fear, right? that a greater freedom exists, or as I would say, you know, a greater authenticity, a greater, greater, um, well, a, another step on that path from fear to love. So in a way, it's um, being aware of what is blocking us from love. That makes a lot of sense. And then I have heard recently something interesting about housekeeping. <laughs> and once you do that, then you need to also be aware of those fears or whatever you are you're unblocking to not to become blocked again to come back so it's uh that constant practice of awareness well i would just say back to meditating my mind always wants got to come back to the breath right <laughs> yes i would add something else though so there's a self-awareness the courage to move forward and then taking responsibility realizing that that your feelings you're creating those feelings right that's your and people often think of responsibility in terms of blame but no responsibility is, is again in terms of your ability to respond or your your power here so taking responsibility oh i feel this way it's not the other person is making me feel this way i'm feeling this way because of how i'm perceiving that other person so that perception is in my controls and my powers and i can change that perception I love that. And I know that's um, a discussion that a lot of people who work with uh, narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse and all that, they would disagree. <laughs> that's not our perception. That's really happening. They are trying to. It's interesting that you just mentioned that because I interview a lot of people about uh -huh. that abuse, emotional abuse, you know, kinds of abuse. Mm -hmm. That is really on purpose that some people actually try to hurt others. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe without even being aware of just part of the personality disorder. So they, they do those things. Mm -hmm. So, and then I don't know why, but it's, um, I kind of tend not to focus on that. But what are you just saying? It's all about, to me, inner freedom. How can I, unless, of course, somebody is coming at me physically and trying to abuse me and hit me or something, then mm -hmm. it would be, yeah, I would do something to stop it and then probably be away, get away from them. But it has to do with emotional abuse too, though, because I have been for my entire life pretty much very bad with boundaries. So uh -huh. I had a lot of that happening, the emotional abuse. And I was just kind of um, 
hiding behind the concept of spirituality, that I was spiritual enough to just kind of let those things come and go and just Mm -hmm. uh, not do anything about it, stay in relationships that weren't, let's say, pleasant. And now it's still that way in a sense because it's all about me kind of uh, changing or working with my inner world and I'll try to change the outside, what I can cannot control. But then there's the, the conflict that comes sometimes and says, ah, oh, but you could, you could actually end this and just stay away from this person. Let's say a family member that I can't really uh, stay away from. Let's say my mother, my father. So what is your suggestion in that case? for those who are going through emotional abuse and they are trying to cultivate that inner freedom and a sense of personal mastery and power, self-power, how to deal with difficult people that we cannot get away from? Yeah, well, that's tough. And and I I, I just want to acknowledge you for, for saying that you, know, you hid behind your spirituality. It sounded like you were trying to disconnect or disassociate yourself yeah. from yes. the abuse right 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 i did that a lot yes yeah yeah many years and and you know that might be a step towards health because the first thing you need to do of course is protect yourself and you can't do it any other way so one i just need to flag that that's not the question you asked me is how do i how do you deal with yourself or when you're with a you know an abusive person it's not my expertise so it's, yeah. I'm stepping out a little bit yes. here yeah. but there, there are two things and this goes back to my central my something I said earlier is that we need to accept that we're not perfect people mm. that we're all flawed we're all human and we're we're not all capable of being you know the Buddha or Christ or whomever <laughs> yes. right <laughs> So maybe in a in an ideal situation, mm-hmm. Buddha wouldn't be impacted by somebody's abuse. It would just wash off him like you know water off a duck's back. And maybe that's the goal we should we should work to that whatever somebody else says is their issue. Why make it our issue, right? And when you're in the workplace or in in in, in a situation where you can't. Um, do anything about it. You can't disassociate yourself from the person. That's the inner work that you need to do so that whatever that person says does not impact you. And it doesn't impact you not because you're trying to disassociate mm. with it, but it just truly doesn't impact you. Um, you know, it's like a kid coming running up to you on the street and says, I don't like you. Yeah. You say, okay, kid, <laughs> you know, here's a buck, go buy an ice cream cone. <laughs> it, does, yeah. it doesn't impact you. But when your wife comes up to you and says, you don't like, yeah. she doesn't like you, well, you got another issue there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the same words are being used, right? Uh, but you're, you're yes. seeing them differently. Yes. Um, fundamentally, our feelings are generated, right, by how we see something. Right. So there's a there's a, a, a fact, an event that happens out in the world. We humans immediately give meaning to that event. Right. You're walking down a path, a snake pass slithers across the path, and you say danger. Right? It's the danger that your interpretation that this thing is dangerous that has your adrenal glands kick over and you get scared and you run away. It's not the fact of the snake, it's your interpretation of the snake. So um, it's the same when somebody says something to you. Somebody can say, <clears throat> you know, classic example. My mother always used to tell me to wash my hands before I eat. You know, I'm 50 years old. Well, <laughs> 60. She's telling me, 
I saw that. I interpret that as mm-hmm. mom's treating me like a kid, and I get I get all sullen and petulant, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. Now I see it. Oh, that's just her way of telling her telling me that she loves me. Yeah. And I feel my love for her. So the same thing is happening. The same circum. The same event is happening, but I'm giving it a different interpretation. So commonly, you know, we call that you know reframing it. But the reason why we reframe is by in the reframing we generate a different feeling. So part of our path towards power or inner freedom is being able to reframe. So um, reframe situations. So one of my reframings, and I got this from Marianne Williamson in her book, which I'm not going to remember now, but it was based on The Course of Miracles. Mm, Return to love, it might be. Yeah, there you go. That's it, right. She's got this beautiful reframing, right, that people are either – you. And by reframing, I look at people through this lens. They're either coming from love or they're coming from a call for love. They're asking for love, right? So that when somebody's showing up to me as a jerk, I say, okay, this guy's coming from a call from love. And again, a, a good Buddhist reframing for that is he's just unskillful. He doesn't know how to do it skillfully. Whereas before I say, this guy's a jerk. I'm going to slug him or give him the finger or I'm going to let him piss me off. Now, both of those reframings are an avenue towards compassion. Right. And that again, that's an example of inner power, inner freedom, where I'm not where I can choose my feelings by how I see the outer world. Yeah. Beautifully, clearly stated. I love that, Russell. Yes, yeah, it resonates very much true. And that goes back also to the the attachment, the, the level of attachment, whatever we attach to, mm-hmm. then feelings will arise right from the attachment. So that's was speaking of the Buddha and Buddhism, that's one of their biggest philosophy. It, the philosophy is based on that non-attachment. Uh, life is suffering, non-attachment, loving kindness, compassion. So Yes, it makes a lot of sense. I could throw something in there because attachment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I could, you know, I struggled with attachment a lot because when when I thought of not being attached, that I, I kind of interpret that as as not caring. Mm, yeah, no, no. And and I realized that the difference between not caring and and not being attached is by not being attached, and I still might not have this right, but this is kind of where I'm still wrestling with. Is not attachment doesn't mean not caring, but it means not being personally invested in the outcome, right? Or not being ego invested in the outcome. Yes, is that that not taking whatever happens uh, personally, right? We are coming from a different perspective, a much broader and open, spacious, limitless perspective, right? It's abundant, so. There's space for everything, <laughs> including the so-called bad things, unpleasant things. Yeah, right. that's my idea of non-attachment as well. Yeah, it's uh, not attached personally, but highly engaged as a human being, because that's the body-mind complex. That's what it does. <laughs> Engage is attached to everything in that sense of engagement, of playing with, dancing with all this as an experience. So when I asked the question about, when I asked you the question about how you got to that sense of inner, internal freedom, and then you start describing the journey and all the path, and and then I see that it's not a coincidence that the method, your coaching method, 
includes those steps. You just mentioned them, self-knowledge, courage, responsibility. You you called them the six key characteristics that personal mastery requires. Going back to that, because I forgot to mention how we frame it. So self-knowledge, courage, responsibility, relationship to reality, integrity, and heart-centered. And then when it comes to power, you also overlaps. A lot of that's overlapped here. I love the way you explained um, the um, victimhood that has to do with taking responsibility getting out of that uh, mind frame. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about courage, of course, and then shame. That's interesting. The third step to power. Uh, power comes from having nothing to hide. I love that. Yeah, that caught my attention immediately. Power comes from having nothing to hide. That sounds powerful in itself. <laughs> when, we, when we put up a pretense, you know, when we're hiding something, we want to pretend we're somebody we're not, Right. That pretense automatically disempowers us, right? We're not free to be who we are because we're putting up this pretense. Because, we're, or more specifically, we're ashamed of who we are. I'll even say that even differently. We're ashamed of who we think we are, or whom we've the the meaning we've given ourselves. You know that we're not good enough, for instance, or we're not worthy. We're ashamed of that. The irony, though, of course, is. That's just another story. That's just another interpretation. That's not true. Yeah. It's just one word that we're, we're believing. Yes, that's it. Yeah, another belief system. And, and that's one of the, uh, one of, let's say, the quest for so many of us a lot of, that I talk to and we discuss the idea of belief system and mm-hmm. not having one, not having, not believing anything, but just kind of being formed by experience itself, what's present what can be felt. Do you actually subscribe to the idea that we can navigate this reality without belief systems? Well, I would ask you, why would you want to? Because isn't it, yeah. isn't the belief systems, isn't it the meaning that we give the world that gives us our joy? Ah, ah. Right? I mean, I can look at my wife and yeah. say, all right, she's six trillion cells yeah. that happen to <laughs> be walking around in the world, but that's not how I see her. I give her all this meaning. <laughs> yes. Right? And yes, that's, yes. That's, what, that's what makes my life worth living is the meaning. Mm, and that has to do with believing something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I usually don't use the word believe or faith or hope, but trust. <laughs> that's my the word I use. But I don't think it, it connects with the idea of having a belief, which is the story, is mm-hmm. um, the meaning, as you say. So it's more trusting, even trusting that the brain is creating the stories and, the, mm-hmm. and giving meaning to everything, you know, fantasizing and dreaming and, and it's delusional a lot of times and lives in its own illusions. So it's, um, it's trusting all that. <laughs> so my overarching kind of um, word or, or let's say sense of navigating this reality, it's coming now at this point from that, from trust. Mm. I trust everything that's happening here, whatever Mm. this is. (laughs) If I can't explain, I don't know what it is. I know there's something here that's trying to explain and know things, and I trust that too, all of it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, I don't know, it makes it easier for me (laughs) in in a sense, kind of to accept everything, (laughs) the unacceptable, and, you know, the war between Russia and Ukraine, all this. um, So many things that I hear about, I don't watch TV or read the news, I have no idea what's happening exactly out there. But from time to time, my husband, we have conversations and he tells me. So all that kind of uh, falls into that place 
within, that's trust whatever's happening. What am I to see here? If it's present, it's coming to me. It appears here, it's happening. So what am I to see? Why is this? That's always my reflection, my question. What am I to see? Not to do, but what am I to see here? Mm -hmm. So that opens up a lot more. <laughs> it, it gets me to go deeper. That's what it is. And Yeah, I was wondering, when you say, what is it to me for me to see here? Are, are you yeah. using to see kind of in the same sense of what is it for me to learn? Or are you using not, it no, way? yeah, not even learned because learning would imply seeking. There's uh, a seeking. Yeah, th that would be falling to trust again. It's okay to learn. It's okay, whatever yeah. it is, that's acceptable. But it's deeper than that. It's deeper than learning. It's, uh, I would say, understanding mm -hmm. more than learning. It's going deeper in the sense of um, going past the illusion of what's being presented as reality. So what's behind it? What's the nature of this reality, of what's happening? Oh. Mm -hmm. So it's the, I, what it is, is a curiosity to know what's the nature of what it is, whatever it is <laughs> that's being presented. Like, what's the nature of your understanding of all this, of freedom? So that's where the mind, it goes within me. It's always the case. I don't know why, but it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. It's fun, though, I have to say. <laughs> So, yeah, it's more understanding. Try to see, yeah, not with the outer eyes, but the inner eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is, again, then it would be another conversation, right? Going back to the soul, the spirit, and what is the nature of existence itself. I just love all this, Ross, so I can't help it. But wait, this is another podcast interview. <laughs> well, good for you. It's, it's good to be involved with something and be constantly seeing the world. Yes, right. That's definitely the case here. Always trying to look deeper into everything, the nature of whatever it is. So we're almost at the end. So I want to mention the um, your comments on skills. You say that skills can be learned from books. However, they can only be used effectively when a person has mastered the four steps outlined above, which you talked about uh, responsibility, courage, and when we give up the um, the shame, give up mm -hmm. shame and all that. So it's not as important having those learned skills. I like that. And then practice, you end with that, um, the conclusion about the power does not come by thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh too, because it is true. <laughs> so I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before I ask them, would you like to add anything else that you left unsaid for today's conversation? Yeah, just to finish the your 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 last word there, you you can't develop power. And and for for folks, what I what I the way I define power is the ability to produce the results that you want in your life, right? The ability to create your life as you'd like it to have. That's why I'm using power in this in this instance. Uh, I think power is often misused in the in the kind of broader conversation. But the point I make is you got to practice. You got to go out and do your stuff. You just can't think about it or read books. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to put some rubber to the road if you want to make it, um, you know, to get along that path yeah. to where you want to go. Uh, yeah, forgive me for not mentioning that. I do have the definition of power, your definition of power. You say, uh, my goal as a coach is to coach my clients to generate and master their power if we don't generate power, we become victims. People who see themselves as victims tend not to live joyful or fulfilling lives, while those who generate power do. 
And that's because they're always getting the results that they want for their own lives. That makes a lot of sense to me, even if um, it's something that's not helping others. <laughs> it's not beneficial to others, but they still have that sense. And I know you also talked about force and the difference between force, authority, and power. Would you like to clarify that, Russell? Right. So, so people often speak of <clears throat> this person has power over me or this person, this person is disempowered. And when they think that way, they think this power is something outside of ourselves. And what I like to do is, is make a greater nuance, greater distinction between power and authority and force. Okay, so force is when somebody pulls a gun on you and says, do it my way, you know, hand over your money. <clears throat> That's force. And you're being compelled by the threat of physical harm to do something. Authority, authority is a socially sanctioned um, uh, capacity to determine what you can do. All right. So a policeman or a court, a court has authority to tell you that you have to pay money, you know, to somebody you injured. All right. So I separate that from power because what remains is power is something that you generate. It can't be given to you. You need to generate it. And it's your ability to make your life work. And no one can take it away from you. If you're feeling that somebody else is disempowering you, you need to switch the lens around and look at yourself and ask, what do I need to do so that I can stand my ground here? Mm. What can I do so that I can be fully expressed? I have the freedom to do what I need to do here. Yeah. Right? Listening to you, it feels like freedom, right? That's it. That's why you connect power to freedom. Yeah, inner freedom. Yes, mm -hmm. it very much feels that way. Thank you so much, Russell, for your presence in our reality and the way you um, express your own truth and your knowledge. It's very clear, very straight to the point, and, and has so much depth, too. Uh, I have to say again, I love the clarity behind uh, your words and the concepts and everything, the experience, of course, that you had, too. We, you express them clearly. Sometimes it's not easy to do that. And I see how you got to that point of clarity. The clarity, it is the pretty much the um, antidote to confusion. <laughs> it uh, isn't is. it? <laughs> it is, yeah. So it's good to be there. What do you love most about being in the human body or being the human body? <laughs> uh, well, of course, it, it's, it's life, isn't it? It's yes. life. You know, it's, we, we've been, again, gifted for this brief instant in all of eternity to be on this planet. And part of being in a body is that it can experience things. You know, it can experience the an ice cream cone. You just love that experience of eating the ice cream. But we also can experience, we, we have this gift of experience being, you know, connected to the divine. And it's that whole range, that whole continuum from, you know, from the ice cream cone to, to the divine that we have available to us. And my love of being in life is to experience that and to note when I stop experiencing, you know, when routine or judgment or all that crud that can build up if we don't pay attention. Or as you said earlier, if you don't keep doing the work, it just builds up on us until we're just, we're just, well, we just lose that gift. We're just like, aren't touching, aren't experiencing what we can experience. Yes. 
Do you have time for a short story? Yes, yes. Please. So when I left Alaska, I left on a bicycle. So I bicycled from Alaska all the way down to the Mexican border. And there's this uh, mountain bike trail called the Great Great Divide Mountain Bike Trail that starts in southern Canada and goes all the way through the Rocky Mountains to Mexico. So you're always you're always in, in backcountry roads, on dirt roads, all the way down. And it's a beautiful ride. And what I did, and this is before I became a coach, before I even knew what I was doing, right, in any spiritual sense. Every morning, and I was going through beautiful country, gorgeous countries, mostly desert, you know, not a lot of deserts in Alaska. And every morning I would have this little practice where I'd say, I am radiating. And I just feel myself radiating out into this country and just being one with it. And it completely changed my experience of biking through all this gorgeous landscape. And that's what I loved about being human is the experience of it, the experience of the world. Feeling that even being one with it, right? That's very powerful. Being one with it, yeah. Yeah, it sounds very much spiritual, although, as I said, everything is spiritual to me. But in the traditional way for the definition of spirituality, it sounds like enlightenment. <laughs> when we have those glimpses, it's called spiritual awakening, when you see that you are connected with everything. And that's even deeper than that, that we, you are everything that you are experiencing. Thank you so much, Russell, for your presence here again for this conversation. Truly beautiful. Thank you. And thank you. Thanks for the great questions, the great conversation. And before we say goodbye for today, what is the best way to find more information about you and what you do and your coaching services? So I do have a website, russellheath.net, N-E-T. But if you just Google Russell Heath Coach, I should pop up. And I will post the the, the little essay I, I wrote on, on power, which I sent to you. I'll put that up on my website. There are a few typos and things I need to clarify, but it'll be up in a couple of days. And I encourage people to go take a look at it and, and send me their, their thoughts. I'd really like to hear from folks. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I'll have the, your website link on your podcast profile. Okay. Thank you so much again, Russell. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Russell Heath and his work, please visit russellheath.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.